Um, week one, grief's purpose to guide us in truth and honesty. Week two, last week, we talked about grief's process to bring growth and clarity. And today we're going to talk about grief's promise. The summer soundbite that we've been using the last handful of weeks, we're going to use again today. It's Matthew chapter 8, verse 22. This is Jesus speaking. He says this to a man. He says, follow me and let the dead bury the dead. Now, as we have the entire time during our summer soundbite series, we have two sections to what we're going to do. We have the breakdown. I'm going to give some context and we're going to fill in some gaps to this soundbite. And then we're going to have the shakedown. We have the breakdown for context. The shakedown is where maybe there's a misunderstanding. Perhaps there's a lie that we've been told or we're believing. And we're going to establish some truth in that. Here's the breakdown. Jesus, this is a recap, by the way. I'm not going to dive fully into it. If you want the full breakdown of this, you can go back to week one. This is two weeks ago and you can get that. But I'm just going to very quickly, just for a refresher, so we're all on the same page. Jesus is speaking to these two men who were loosely following him about what it takes to closely follow him. And there's a difference. Sometimes we're in the vicinity of Jesus. We may understand or we've read about the person of Jesus and we're kind of like, yeah, we know what Jesus can do, but we're not necessarily following him closely. These two men knew who Jesus was and they made this declaration. The first one said, Jesus, I'm just gonna follow you. I'm giving everything, like I'm all in. I have that personality. Personality is I'm just gonna walk to the edge and I'm just gonna jump. I'm going, right? Jesus says, here's the problem. I don't think you fully understand what it is that you're committing to. This man, Jesus' discernment showed him this man was really about trying to get wealth and status because he thought Jesus was establishing his own kingdom on earth. So, hey, if Jesus is my friend and he's the king and I buddy up next to him and I follow him, I get to, I get to share in some of that wealth and that status. And Jesus said, hey, I'm not a man of comfort is what Jesus says. I don't have a place to lay my head. Then the second man says, Jesus, Jesus, I want to follow you. But, you know, it would be more convenient for me if I was able to go home and spend some time with my father before he dies. And Jesus says, I'm sorry. Let the dead bury the dead. Now, this is essentially what Jesus is saying. I I'm not going to propose to you that following me is going to be convenient or comfortable. But in fact, in the book of Luke, Jesus says to some of the people around him, I want you to know that you need to count the cost. Now, here's the shakedown. This is the lie. Jesus is one insensitive person to tell a man who is grieving the death of his father to walk away and not go and deal with grieving his dad. But I want you to catch something that I said. The man's father had not yet died. He was presenting to Jesus that he wanted it convenient. It would be more convenient if he could go home, spend some time with his dad, and when his father, it's inevitable, it's going to happen to every one of us, when he dies, I'll wrap up my family affairs and then I'll come hang out with you, Jesus. 
And what we do, if we believe this, this view and this vision of Jesus that says, you, you, you can't grieve losses. This is the language. It's that grief to Jesus really is get over it. And we've talked the last couple of weeks about it's not get over it, it's how to get on with it. How, 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 how do we allow grief to become part of who we are? Last week I talked about the practice of grief. Now I'm going to describe grief. I, I just real quickly want to define this. It's very simple. Grief is the result of an ex, or from experiencing a loss, a separation, or significant change. See, grief is not only the loss of somebody. In fact, what I proposed to us a couple weeks ago was that we are probably on a global level dealing with grief at epic proportions. But I also am presenting the fact that we have lost our skill in grieving, specifically in America, if you listen to the message from last week. We do not grieve well as Americans. Culturally, we just have not done a good job at it. Today, I want us to discover, though, grief's promise of hope and of closeness. Number one, grief's promise of hope. Now, I'm going to just establish a truth. Every single one of you including myself, we need hope. Hearts need it. The human heart needs hope because you will deal with something that will grieve you and you need hope that you can hold on to. But I also want to tell you the other side to this truth and it's this that not all hope is equal. Let me break down for you my thought process on this so that you can understand the statement that I just made. In 1 Thessalonians 4.13, it says, and now dear brothers and sisters, so this is, this is someone who is a follower of Jesus talking to other followers of Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. Now, I'm going to define this word hope for you in this context. This word hope means joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation. What this is simply saying is, is that without Jesus, life is hopeless. I like how the writer of this, his name is Paul, to this church in Thessalonica, I like how he doesn't mince his words because I'm kind of a don't mince your words type of guy. So I appreciate him basically saying, hey, listen, there is no hope. There is no broader hope that you can ever place with complete security your life in other than Jesus Christ. Nothing. 
And in the midst of grief, when everything is being shaken, when everything is being disturbed, I need a secure hope. I need a hope that won't burn. I need a hope that won't deteriorate. I need a hope that won't die. I need a hope that won't inflate or deflate. I need a hope that's not tied to an an economy, to a fiat currency, to a political party. I need a hope that is secure because it is hope in person. And we only find that in Jesus Christ. Let me give you another picture of hope. It's Romans 15, 13. Again, this guy Paul is writing to the Romans and he says this. I pray that God, the source of hope. So who is our source of hope? God. Listen to what the source of hope, God, does. Listen to what he brings. Listen to what he gives. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with what? Joy and peace. Because you trust in him. That there is this promise of joy and peace, even in the midst of grieving, as the the person, the God of hope, fills us with hope that we can't even understand is then you will overflow with confident hope. So we have hope, but now we have confident hope. Confident hope is, is the spigot of hope has been turned on and it just keeps overflowing. That when you have to dig deep into your hope bucket, the God of hope has got the hope spigot on. He just keeps dumping hope into your heart when you feel hopeless. And if I'm going to drown in something, I want to drown in hope and not sorrow. It is confident hope is a hope that remains. How does it remain? Because God is like, I was, I was going to say something else. He's like gangster number one who is a hope dealer. He's on every street corner. He's pushing hope into every vein. He's in every brownie you're going to eat. Are you picking up what I'm saying? Where are you placing your hope? That was special just for you guys. Someone need to hear that. <laughs> Psalm 39.6. We are merely moving shadows. Don't get depressed about this. One of the things we talked about is grief's reality of loss gives us the reality of truly living. So listen to this. The psalmist says, we are merely moving shadows and all our busy rushing ends in nothing. We're living in the time and space of everyone having a main thing and having a hustle and a side hustle to your hustle. And we're rushing around in our hustles and our side hustles. And we call 27 side hustles create one job in our brain, right? We're like, I make a living. How? I have 42 side hustles. We're rushing around. And what is the psalmist saying? All our busy rushing ends in nothing. We heap up wealth not knowing who will spend it. And so, Lord, where do I put my hope? My only hope is in you. Every other thing that we can place our hope in wavers breaks down. 
deteriorates, burns, dies, changes, shifts, will disappoint you at some point. Jesus is the only hope. Now, I want to tell you what grief's promise of hope is not. This is really important. It is not a fake it until you make it. And it's not, this is a term that's used. It is not toxic positivity. Let me define what this means. Toxic positivity is avoidance of the impact of a real pain through a positive spin. Proverbs 25.20 says, singing cheerful songs to a person with a heavy heart. Let me read that again. Singing a cheerful song to a person with a heavy heart is like taking someone's coat in cold weather or pouring vinegar in a wound. I'm going to give you an example of the language of toxic positivity. It's not optimism. It's not even positive. It's this idea that uh, we have experienced this level of toxic positivity in the last year and a half specifically. Here's something that I heard a lot in the last year and a half. Now, I'm just picking on the last year and a half because it's so prominent in my memory. Um, Almost any time someone's dealing with a loss, and if I say to them, and this is how I start the sentence, Anything I say after what I'm about to say is potentially toxically positive. Here's what I'm about to say. Hi, oh, you've experienced a loss. Well, look on the bright side. Fill in the blank. Okay. So I remember uh, during the most extreme times of the last year and a half, everyone being stuck in their homes And me telling myself, well, look on the bright side. At least you can stay home and work out and spend tons of time with your family. And like, how many of you were like, I'm tired of working out and my family's driving me crazy. And I just want community outside of my children or my roommates or the four walls. If you live alone, you see what I'm saying? And what we did was we said, you're not allowed to experience the grief of loss of community. Because you need to look on the bright side. And we became avoidant of our grief. And I'm telling you that we're sitting where we're at in 2021 globally because we have not grieved well as a global human, like human community. Toxically positive. Let me give you another example. Hey, there's no reason to be sad because we know that she loved Jesus. He loved Jesus. And they're, they're in a better place. No, I'm sorry. There is reason to be sad. Grief is worth it, week one. Grief matters. It matters because what you lost matters and you matter. So it's okay. Yes, you're sad. That's fine. But let's not live in this weird world where we go, Jesus, you know, you're, you're a person of faith. You shouldn't. Let's not present just, hey, if you're a follower of Jesus, can I tell you something? Don't present to your friends who are not followers of Jesus. Like Jesus is the answer. He's so good. He just erases all of your pain. That's a lie. Jesus is so good that he actually has, has experienced your pain. You see the shift? So toxic positivity makes this attempt 
to be encouraging, but in reality just lacks empathy. So we have to grab a hold of hope, but this is the reality. It is entirely possible to hold the pain of grief and the promise of hope simultaneously. It is possible. In fact, I will tell you, it's necessary. I feel the pain of my loss, significant change or separation. I feel it, it's real, but I am holding on to something that's firm and unmovable, a hope that I have in Jesus Christ. You're human. It's okay. It's okay. Number two, grief's promise is closeness. I'm going to read this scripture. It's a famous scripture. You might have heard this before. If you haven't, this is, this is a, a great famous passage from the Bible in the book of Psalms, Psalm 23. It says this. I'm going to read it kind of old school. Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. When I was little, I learned it this way. For thou art with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Here's what I love about this passage. It talks about the shadow of death. And the shadow of death is basically, there's some definitions that I have, but basically it's this example of the grave. Things that have died, things that we've lost. represents calamity and calamity is the cause of grief. So although I walk in grief, because of the cause of grief, although I walk through that, I'm not going to fear evil. The word evil means calamity or grief. So this is clearly a scripture talking about the grief that you and I, not if, but when we walk through. It's clear to me as humans that we are going to walk through valleys where the shadow of death will be cast on our life. But the shadow of death is being cast from the object of death. But the object of death, in order to have a shadow cast, has to be illuminated by the presence of God. Here's what I'm saying. Grief's promise is that Jesus is close. He illuminates every painful part of your life. He's there in the pain and the light that he brings to those dark deep, grave-filled pains and the hope that he brings is shining on this object of death and casting a shadow, it tells me that light is present. If there's a shadow, light is present. Shadows do not exist on their own. And it ultimately says, you are with me. That there's a closeness that Jesus has. There's a comfort that he brings. I've experienced this in my own life. I have to tell you, there was moments in my life that were deeply painful. And, and, and there was a part of my grieving process where, I, I really mean this, God took me back to these moments where I saw these events play out in my head. And I was, by the way, this happened, I would say within the last eight years of my life. 
pastoring church, you know, family. And I'm still grieving these things that happened to me when I was young. And I'm screaming at God in my house. This is a true story. I'm screaming at God, where were you? And I'm weeping. And God took me back to every one of those situations and showed me the exact situation again. Except this time, he showed me a picture of Jesus standing, holding his heart broken and weeping. Remember week one, I said that Jesus is close to the brokenhearted. I said that he's acquainted He was despised and rejected a man of sorrows and he was acquainted with the deepest of griefs. Jesus is close to you because he's experienced and he's been skilled. The word acquainted means to be skillful. Jesus is the most skilled person to ever live in grief. Did you know that? That makes him the most empathetic because he can understand That there's this gift that we've been given of this promise of comfort in his closeness. But I have to tell you that it also gives you and I the opportunity in experiencing the promise of comfort in his closeness to share the comfort of his closeness with those around you. In fact, I will tell you that without grief, you and I will never realize, truly realize the promise of closeness. I think one of the biggest things that's troubling our society right now is we've lost, this is my opinion, uh, I, I feel like we've lost our ability to empathize with one another. To look across in the human community and say, hey, I may have never experienced your loss, but I haven't experienced a loss. And because of that, I've experienced the empathy of Jesus. I've experienced the comfort of his closeness. And I want to share the comfort of his closeness with you. And I'm not going to be toxically positive in your life. I just want to come. I want to sit with you. I want to stand on the sidewalk with you. And I want to cry. I want to feel what you're feeling. And we're living in this binary state in society where we've gone to our corners and we've lost the connection of human community. That's called humanity. We've stopped ourselves from grieving and we've dehumanized ourselves and therefore we stop ourselves from allowing others to grieve and more importantly, we miss the closeness. Yesterday, I had the strangest of circumstances as we remember 20 years ago on 9-11, just under 3,000 people lost their life in New York City. And two other crashes
At the exact same time, I'm also remembering my father who I lost at 18 because 9-11 is his birthday. 30 years later, I'm still grieving. I could feel the pain. of family members who were reading these close to 3,000 names standing at ground zero. And my heart was toggling between watching a loved one remember their family from 20 years ago and flashes of my father remembering him from 30 years ago. There's a closeness And I heard the most remarkable story. There's a man who's a CEO of a finance company. His offices were in one of the towers. And as life has it, he was tasked with taking his kindergarten son for the first time to his first day of school. He was the CEO, but he made it a point to always hire people that were friends and to take care of his family first. And so he took his five-year-old son to his first day of kindergarten. Because of that, he was not in the tower when the plane struck. Over 650 of his employees were killed. This is a wealth management company and they're earning high salaries. They're making a lot of money. And this is what was remarkable about, this, remarkable about this story. He said, how do I just go back? As he remembered, he was recounting this story. He said, I remember thinking, how can I just go back to making money? I remembered, I, I can't go to 658 memorials. It's gonna rip the insides of my heart out. But what I can do is I can be close. And I'm going to be close by, listen to what he did, by working harder than ever. And for all of the remaining employees, they made a decision together that they would give away 25% of their personal pay and all of that 25% would go toward their fellow workers' families. In fact, it was such a powerful act of closeness and empathy that as they began hiring employees to fill these 658 spots, every single employee was so profoundly moved as they came on board, they made the decision that if their salary was $200,000, they would give $50,000. They would just say, we'll give 25% away because this is closeness. Because they were grieving as well and they understood the promise of closeness. They understood hope. And I don't know if this CEO knows Jesus, but I'll tell you what. I felt like in my heart, I was watching this and I was like, the old adage, like, is this what Jesus would do? His company went on to, to amass more wealth than ever. Do you and I have the ability to look across the table of our human community and extend our hand 
as we come close to a heart. And I want to tell you this morning, if you're grieving a loss, you need the closeness of grief's promise. You need Jesus and you need someone. You just need a friend. You need someone to say, hey, I'm with you. And I'm going I'm to tell you something. This was my language when I was younger. I held everyone at arm length distance and, th- and this was the language I used. You don't understand. And I'm going to repeat what I said. I may not understand your loss. But I can be close. Because I have experienced a loss. We need grief's promise of hope and of closeness more than ever before. A hope that is firm and secure and unmovable and a closeness that goes beyond sitting shoulder to shoulder but connects us heart to heart as we live life hand to hand. Why don't you join me in standing as we wrap up this morning? Week one. I said loss leaves our hearts broken open. And my challenge to us was maintain an open heart. So I'm going I'm to take us back to week one and say, let's keep our hearts open right now. If you can, if you feel comfortable, so let's just close our eyes. We just have a few minutes with each other before we wrap up. Just keep an open heart. That's all I'm asking. What are you placing your hope in? This is the question I just want you to ask. What are you, what are you placing your hope in? Some of you have never placed your hope in Jesus ever. Some of you have placed your hope in Jesus. And I want to tell you something, and, and, and this is, it's okay. I think this happens. It's okay. This is not a bad thing. Some of you have placed your hope in Jesus, but your ground has been shaken. And in that panic, in the pain, you've began placing your hope in some other things. And I feel like God is just realigning some things this morning. He's helping us to remember. And he's saying, hey, you're not going to find hope in that. I am the only hope. If you need hope this morning... I want us to be able to experience closeness as well. If you need hope this morning, I need hope this morning. I'm telling you personally, I need it. If you need it as well, would you raise your hand? Keep an open heart. Keep an open heart. If you're next to somebody that has their hand up, just place your hand on them gently. We have ministry team in the room. Listen, th- we, we need this. We need the touch of a living God that brings hope, that brings peace, that restores joy. But we also need 
the hope and the closeness that comes from community and people that are, are with you to say, hey, you know what? This is not a three-week series and you're over it that I wanna tell you, you may grieve for the rest of your life. It's okay. But we're gonna, we're gonna grieve moving on with grief in a positive manner, wrapping ourselves around it, And we're going to hold on to the only secure and firm hope in Jesus. So if you need hope this morning, I'm just going to pray for all of us, including myself. Father, I just pray right now. And the person that's praying with you, they may just have their hand on you. They may be praying quietly. You may not even realize they're praying right now. But Father, I just pray right now that you would release, God, just hope right now in this place. Release hope. Release that thing that we need, that we're, cha- we're grasping right now in the middle of our grief. We're grasping at things, and it's like we're grabbing a hold of sand that keeps running through our fingers. Some of you literally feel like everything you try to grab a hold of, it just it falls through your fingers. You've tried everything. Some of you for literally 50 years have tried, and you've tried to hold on on your own. You've tried to do it on your own. Some of you have tried and tried and tried and tried. And the the reality is there's nothing that you can grab a hold of outside of Jesus that is firm and secure and isn't gonna change on you. He is unwavering. And dare I say, we need community more than ever. And community can be one person. My challenge to you this week is, would you commit to just allowing one person Allowing one just to be in your world as you maintain an open heart. And if you're doing good, would you reach out to somebody this week? Hey, and as simple as this, hey, I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. That the confident hope and expectation that we receive from the Holy Spirit, Father, thank you. We just say come right now. Yeah, just more, Lord Jesus. More peace, Lord Jesus. This is normal. This should be normal. Intimacy with God and intimacy with one another. We're willing to stop and grieve with one another. We're going to be talking about this stuff over the next handful of weeks in our new series, Normal. You're not going to want to miss it. We're not going to just talk about it. We're going to experience it. I don't want to talk about Jesus. I want to experience Jesus. I don't want to talk about living life together. I want to live life together. I don't want to just talk about the miraculous. I want to see it. If you need someone to walk with you through grieving, you're not alone. Don't leave this place thinking that just because we're wrapping up this series that we're done, we're committed to walking with you. I would suggest that you get connected somehow. Step in somehow. Make yourself known somehow. Let others know that you're grieving. You will find that they probably are too. God, as a family, that we would, we would maintain this commitment to one another just to walk with each other through this.
this deep closeness and empathy. But it would actually go beyond the four walls that we would begin looking at the people around us in our neighborhoods, in our grocery stores, in our workplaces. And we would begin seeing what's behind the pain and the anger. We would begin seeing that it's not personal, but it's actually the pain of grief. And we would begin to pray, even if just on, on, on underneath our breath and subtleties, if you're a follower of Jesus, I just want you to know that, that we can bring the power and the promises of this practice of grief into environments. We can just begin to pray this stuff and people, they don't even necessarily know it. Just give us courage, Lord. Give us courage to live life. We thank you. If you need prayer this morning, if you're on our online campus, I want to talk to you for a second. Don't jump off. Right in the chat, there's ways for you to connect with someone. They can take you offline. If they need to, they can pray with you. They can speak with you. If you're in the room, don't leave this place without prayer. We have a ministry team that's more than willing to pray with you. You can come forward at any time and get prayer. Family, We love you. We are proud to do family with you. And we look forward to moments where we share the burdens of each other. Thank you. Keep an open heart. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen and amen.